You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how you doing today? Yep, doing pretty good. We're in the home stretch. We are draft week. It is happening this week in in a few days. This draft needs to have happened like two weeks ago, but it's close. It's close. We're getting close. So we are in final preparations for this draft. And today we are going to be running down our positional top tens. Chris and I both listed out our top tens at each position. We are going to go over them talk to each other about some of the differences in our top tens. Uh, and then this is going to help lead us to you know, put together uh, a combined big board we're going to put out on Big Blue View a little later in the week before the draft. So all of this is coming down to our final preparations and we could not be more excited for this draft to get here. So all we're going to do here is run down our positional top tens. Uh, we're going to start on offense, and I think there's one place where we can start there. It's a position we've talked about quite a bit, so after we run through our top tens, maybe we don't need to talk about it quite as much as we have in the past, but let's just start with quarterback. I'll run down my top ten first. So at QB1, Obviously, clearly, Kyler Murray. And I go Dwayne Haskins, Will Greer, Drew Locke. Then I go Ryan Finley at QB5, Brett Rippon QB6, Daniel Jones QB7, Jordan Tiamu at QB8, Gardner Minshew at QB9, and KJ Costello at QB10. Chris, let's dig into your top 10. Okay, so, you know, obviously I have my top four are the same as yours. Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Will Greer, and Drew Locke. I think those four are basically head and shoulders above everybody else. I start to diverge from you when we get to QB5. I Mine is Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn. Then I have Britt Ripien, Ryan Finley, Daniel Jones, and Jordan Tiamu, and Tyree Jackson to round out my top ten. There we go. So one of the interesting just big differences we have is you have Jared Stidham as QB5. I do not have him in my top 10. I think one of my problems with him, he was just you know too inaccurate for me to really like. I think that's a problem with basically any quarterback after <laughs> like QB4 here. And, and Drew Locke, I think, is, is teetering on even that. But at least he has the deep ball. Uh, ability that I think makes him the clear QB4. What does surprise me is after all of this talk that we've had, 
I am technically higher than you on Daniel Jones. He was my QB7. He is your QB8. Obviously, the NFL is going to be way higher on him than either one of us are. We both see him as kind of a mid-round developmental prospect. The NFL is going to see him as a potential starter in the first round. But I think it's kind of a little funny after all of this. I come out just a tad higher on Daniel Jones than you do. Yeah, well, as pe- if people who have read my work for a while know, when I pick a hill, I pick a hill, damn it. <laughs> and right now, you know, I have Daniel Jones as a fourth-round quarterback on my board. As far as I'm concerned, or at least my read on him is that his ceiling is basically a backup quarterback, a guy who you know, will probably be great in the quarterback room, great in the locker room, and with his athletic traits, could probably come in if your starter gets hurt or if you're blowing a team out and either be, at best, a human cigar as you take a victory lap or maybe run around and help you scrape out a win. But that's about all I see from him. If I was GMing, I would probably have Jarrett Stidham behind Brett Ripien and Ryan Finley in the third round. However, I do believe he will probably get overdrafted based on just his physical traits. He has a strong arm. He can run. And I think scouts will be able to kind of hang their hats on that while coaches can look at him in college and say, wow, that Auburn offense gave him just no opportunity for, for growth. I can work with that. Yes, it'll be interesting because you you do hear about the Auburn scheme a lot. And you hear that also, it's a Daniel Jones thing where you hear about his supporting cast. But I think two things can be true. I think the Auburn offense could have been bad. Stidham was also bad. That's the same thing for Daniel Jones. His supporting cast could be terrible, and it was, but he was also bad in addition to that. So when I looked at like, the on-target percentages per Sports Info Solutions for all of these quarterbacks, you know, Stidham came out as the worst among the 14 quarterbacks I looked at in accuracy from 1 to 10 yards. He was pretty good in 11 to 20 and then was also terrible at 21 yards and deeper. Uh, Daniel Jones is, is interesting, and we're probably going to have to talk about him later in the week because he might be a giant. So we don't need to get too far into him, but a lot of what you hear about him is how good he can be in in the short, quick game, which is fine, and that's true. He was uh, rated pretty highly in accuracy there, but he was one of the worst in accuracy from 11 to 20 yards in that intermediate range, and he was also bad in accuracy 21 yards down the field or further. And you hear a lot about how so much of the NFL is in that short area and like 70% of throws happen within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And that is true. But so much of the value happens past 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. So while the most of the volume happens in the short game, the value really happens past that. So you need to be good in both places. So with Jones, I just don't see the upside. And, and that's why I still think of him as like this mid round developmental prospect that I don't think has the upside of a potential starter. 
And that's, I think that's kind of where we are. That's where we've been on Jones for quite a while. That's still through all of this evaluation. I think the more I've dug into him, the more I feel about that. So that's where we are here. So let's dive into running back real quick, which since this is a Giants-focused podcast, we don't have to spend too much time on, but because it is the draft and we need to get a, a sense of all of these players and their values, but we'll go over our top tens and then really not talk about running backs much at all. Although it could be interesting because looking at our, our top tens, they, they do differ a little bit, but I'll go through my top tens real quick. I have Daryl Henderson, the running back out of Memphis, as my running back one. I think that is very different to a lot of a lot of running backboards, but I like him a lot. He has good vision, good burst, can catch the ball also, which is good. And Travion Williams uh, is number two. Josh Jacobs is my running back three. Justice Hill of Oklahoma State is four. Miles Sanders out of Penn State is five. Benny Snell out of Kentucky is six. Devin Singletary of FAU is seven. Divine Zigbo out of Nebraska is eight. Then Miles Gaskin from Washington is nine. And James Williams out of Washington State for me is running back 10. Yeah, you know, I actually can't argue with having Daryl Henderson high on your board. I believe I have him as my RB4. My top five are Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, Miles Sanders out of Penn State, Devin Singletary out of FAU, Daryl Henderson, and then Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. Like you said, this is a Giants-focused podcast. We are trying to do these this big board from the Giants' point of view, so... If the Giants are drafting a running back, it should be late in the draft, and most of these top guys shouldn't be in consideration. I actually, my two favorite running backs in this class are Devin Singletary and Daryl Henderson, just because they both are just absolute pinballs. Both of them are almost impossible to bring down. They squirt through holes they shouldn't be able to get through. They bounce off of tacklers left, right, and center, and they're just a lot of fun to watch. I have Miles Sanders and Justice Hill up pretty high because I believe they both have just the physical traits to be good, productive, pretty much every down runners in the NFL. This is not an, an athletic running back class, but those two are probably the two best athletes in the class. Then my bottom five are Damian Harris from Alabama, David Montgomery, who I could, I wouldn't hate higher because his contact balance is just off the charts. Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma, Elijah Holyfield out of Georgia, and then finally finally Benny Snell out of Kentucky. I mostly just focused on guys who, if they're not going to be well-rounded running backs, at least give you one thing. And with Montgomery, that's his contact balance. With Holyfield and Snell, that's just their ability to punch a defense. You know, they are very violent runners. So that's pretty much where I am with my running back board. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I focus a little more on contributions in the past game, which if you have heard me talk about offense at all, should not surprise you. Uh, I think the interesting thing to hear is of our 10, I think we have four each that are not on each other's boards. My running back two, Travion Williams, is not in your top 10. So I think that's just kind of interesting to go forward. But again, running back, not really a position of interest for the Giants, which is what most of you are listening for. So let's move on to a position that might be of some interest, and that is wide receiver. So I'll run down my top 10. I have Hakeem Butler as wide receiver one, DK Metcalf, 
at two. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford at three. Emmanuel Hall from Missouri at four. Marquise Brown from Oklahoma at five. A.J. Brown from Ole Miss at six. Andy Isabella from UMass at seven. Nikhil Harry from Arizona State at eight. Terry McLaurin from Ohio State at nine. And Gary Jennings from West Virginia at ten. Chris, why, yeah. let's, uh, let's dig into yours. Yeah, my top five, DK Metcalf at one, Nikhil Harry at two, A.J. Brown at three, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside at four, and Hakeem Butler at five. I mostly have Hakeem Butler down that far because of just the consistency of his hands, which is also a problem with DK Metcalf, but he is just, he is just a rare athlete and those guys get drafted highly. Nikhil Harry, he is interesting to me because his yards after catch ability just seems to come out of nowhere. You know, He's very strong. He has great balance and great vision. So I could see an offense, especially an offense like the Giants, drafting him and then trying to get creative with him in the short and intermediate yak game. A.J. Brown, he is just a good all-around receiver to me. And, you know, we both like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Yeah, I'm happy we both have him in in the top five, top four, technically. Um, I'm glad neither one of us are overthinking DK Metcalf. He is just a physical freak. Uh, I don't really care about his three-cone and whether he can bend or not. He can win where it matters, and that is downfield. Um, He he can moss moss DBs. Yeah, he is going to be an explosive downfield receiver, and then you can work off that. You can have the comeback. You can have the curls. Those are fine. He doesn't need to be running intricate routes if he's gigantic and running a 4-3. Obviously, he can develop that, and that can come, but if it doesn't, he's still going to be a very useful wide receiver. Um, And there's the players who were like that. Like, he had a better three-cone than Steve Smith. Um, Carolina Steve Smith, not New York Giants Steve Smith. Um, But I think we think of Steve Smith as, as a pretty all-around effective wide receiver. No one thought he can't bend and run. Of course, he is a little more compact to the ground than than DK Metcalf is, but DK Metcalf is going to be very good. I also, I don't really worry about his hands or his drops. I think if he's targeted enough, the big plays are going to come. I think the same thing about Hakeem Butler. I believe the same thing about Emmanuel Hall. That's why I'm so high on him. And, and not a bunch of other people are. Uh, he does have some drop issues, but I think he wins so easily down the field. And he could also win in the short and intermediate areas. I think he brings enough value. He's number one in this class in target yards added, which of course is how much a receiver adds to an offense compared to when a quarterback throws to anyone else on the offense. Almost seven and a half yards difference between when Missouri threw to Emmanuel Hall per target and when they threw to everyone else. That is insane. So just because of that production, he he's up there for me. Uh, just moving on to my, my second five, I have Debo Samuel from South Carolina, Kelvin Harmon from NC State, Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, Andy Isabella from UMass, and Paris Campbell from Ohio State. Debo Samuel, I've been pretty consistently high on him throughout the process. I just love his ability to win at every level of the field, and you wouldn't expect from a receiver his height, but he dominates in the red zone. 
he has that ability to just separate at will and win at the catch point and then almost like Victor Cruz when he catches the ball then the play starts Kelvin Harmon I just love again his body control strong hands and ability to win at the catch point he almost reminds me of a slower new Hopkins with just the way he is able to pluck the ball out of the air and make circus catches Marquise Brown w- would absolutely be higher for me if it weren't for the Liz Frank injury. I just want to see how how well he recovers from that because his quickness, explosion, and speed are everything for his game. If he's able to get right and be the player we have seen, he shoots up boards and he's going to be a steal if somebody gets him even, I think maybe even in the middle of the second round. Andy Isabella, you know, that he's another guy I think we are both high on. He's just, you can't say he's a slot, just a slot receiver or just a possession receiver because he is a legit track star. He can burn you down the field. Yeah. He won a lot on the outside in UMass. And I think a lot of people see his size and think that he is a slot, but he's not. I think, I don't want to say he is Brandon Cooks, but in the way that Brandon Cooks is not a slot receiver, Andy Isabella is not just a slot receiver. No. And yeah, you know, just because he's a, a white receiver, you can't go around just comparing him to Edelman or Cole Beasley or, you know what, pretty much most of New England, the New England Patriots slot receivers over the last 10 years. He is really a dynamic athlete. And he will probably wind up surprising people once he gets onto the field in the NFL. And Paris Campbell, to me, is just another one of these uh, dynamic athletes who can really win after the catch. You know, saw it all the time at Ohio State. Get him the ball with a little bit of space, and he is going to break angles and pick up chunk yardage. Yeah, so Paris Campbell is interesting to me because he, like you said, he's, he's good after the catch. He's exclusively after the catch. His yeah. average depth of target was, I think, 4.5 is what Sports Infolutions had him. So he was getting the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage almost all the time and had to run. He wasn't asked to run deep very often. The percentage of his route that went further than 15 yards down the field was 32.3%, which was the lowest in this draft class. Uh, So that is kind of insane. So one of the reasons I don't have him in my top 10 is because he's so much of a projection to to the NFL and, and running actual routes. When we talk about someone like DK Metcalf who can't run routes... You know, at least he wins down the field. Paris Campbell wasn't really asked to at all. Uh, and that's why I have Terry McLaurin uh, ahead of him, the other Ohio State wide receiver who didn't get nearly the amount of talk during the season. He has a little bit now in the in the pre-draft process. He had a great senior bowl showing, and he's he's gotten some hype afterward. But he was much more of the downfield receiver. And just for me, and I think looking at the Giants offense, unless they are going to completely yards after the catch this thing, they do need someone who's going to be able to get down the field, which is why I have McLaurin ahead of Campbell, because I think Campbell is just such a projection of what is going to be able to translate from what he was asked to do in college to the NFL. Yeah, and I absolutely get that, but I'm also not convinced the Giants aren't going to try to completely yak this offense. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally possible. So let's move on to tight end. I'll run through my top 10 here. 
TJ Hawkinson, easy number one. Noah Fan, also of Iowa, tight end two. Herb Smith from Alabama, number three. Uh, Caleb Wilson from UCLA as my tight end four. Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M is my uh, tight end five. Trayvon Wesco from West Virginia is uh, my number six. Caden Smith from Stanford is my number seven. Foster Moreau from LSU is my number eight. Josh Oliver from San Jose State is my number nine. And Drew Sample from Washington is my tight end 10. Uh, Chris, let's get to yours. Okay, uh, top three are identical. Again, TJ Hawkinson one, Noah Fant two. I actually ha- I have them pretty close together, and I think it will c- just come down to who's picking when. Hawkinson's size and blocking ability sets him apart, and he is a more... at least he was a more effective receiver at Iowa, but I think there will be teams that could view Noah Fant as a better receiving option. But just moving on, Herb Smith, number three. Then I have Jay Sternberger, four. Trayvon Wesco, five. Josh Oliver, six. Dawson Knox at seven. Foster Moreau at eight. Dax Raymond at nine. And Isaac Nauta out of Georgia at ten. So I think the biggest differences between our two boards happen at the bottom five. And I would say in particular, I've got uh, Knox, Moreau, and Raymond at seven, eight, and nine. I have them there because I think all three of them are fairly similar prospects in that they are, they tested out as very athletic for the position, but they're also fairly underdeveloped. Yeah. Dawson Knox is basically a giant lump of clay at the tight end position. There is a great tight end in there somewhere. It will be up to the team that drafts him to basically mold him into that. But he has all the tools. He's already a good blocker, good enough. And he has experience lining up all over the offensive formation. Ole Miss used him out at wide receiver they used him at slot they used him in line at tight end they used him out of the backfield as an h-back so he's got that experience he was just a complete afterthought for them yeah where we differ here and i I think the the biggest difference is i have caleb wilson as my tight end four you do not have him in your top 10 i think i just like his a a super good athlete he was a very effective uh, pass catcher and and i like that projection going forward i'm looking at sis no receiver whether wide receiver or tight end had more targets on deep crossing routes than caleb wilson did at ucla last year he had nine targets which led all all NCA receivers had eight catchable targets, eight receptions, 186 yards, and a touchdown. So when you have someone like that who can win down the field in that area, uh, he's someone I-, I am going to be very high on. And then I think when we get down to to the bottom, I th- it's just a little bit of a difference. I think I think I like Caden Smith as just a possible all around uh, type of guy, and I think Drew Sample is kind of the same. Guys who can be blockers uh, and can also win. So I think we just have a little bit of a difference on who we value in those areas, but I think we're basically looking at the same things. Yeah, I would think so. I don't think it's impossible that the Giants draft a tight end early, but if they don't if they don't want to really move on from Red Ellison, I think you know, maybe one of those fourth round draft picks get a guy who can either 
push Scott Simonson or ultimately take over for Ellison in a year or so. Yeah, I think a lot of people have seen my the mock draft that had the Giants taking TJ Hawkinson six. That's not necessarily something I would say they should do, but it was more of just thinking a, a little outside the box of what they can do. And throwing from 12 personnel is good, which is when two tight ends on are on the field because defenses act like that is a run formation. They keep more linebackers on the field. And when you have two tight ends who can catch, which the Giants would have in Hawkinson and Ingram, or if you don't have to, you know, go to that extreme, say a, you know, a Caleb Wilson and Ingram, you have two tight ends who can catch, you're getting mismatches and throwing from 12 personnel is basically like using play action because... The defense already expects the run, and that's when passing is the best, is when the defense thinks you are going to run. So I would not be opposed to drafting a tight end somewhere in those mid-rounds and and beefing up the ability to pass out of 12 personnel. So let's move on here and go to offensive tackles. I'll run down my top 10. Andre Dillard out of Washington State is my offensive tackle one. Juwan Taylor from Florida is tackle two. Jonah Williams from Alabama is tackle three. Dalton Risner out of uh, Kansas State is tackle four. Cody Ford from Oklahoma is five. Caleb McGarry from Washington is tackle six. Max Sharping from Northern Illinois is tackle seven for me. Yadni Kajust from West Virginia is tackle eight. Then Greg Little from Ole Miss is tackle nine. And Bobby Evans is tackle 10 for me. And Chris, what is your top 10? Okay, so I have Jonah Williams from Alabama at one, Jawan Taylor from Florida at two, Andre Dillard from Washington State at three. Cody Ford from Oklahoma at four, Dalton Reisner from K-State at five, David Edwards from Wisconsin at six, Yadni Kajus from West Virginia at seven, Michael Deiter from Wisconsin at eight, Caleb McGarry from Washington at nine, and Ali Udo from Elon at 10. Yeah, our, our top three are the same, really. We just have Williams and Dillard flipped. I went with Williams just because he is just a technician and I think he could be he could just have a little bit smoother transition to the NFL not coming from that Mike Leach offense where it was just quick sets he rarely asked to do anything like a kick slide never had his hand in the ground that sort of thing Dillard will probably be a better pass protector, especially once he gets used to playing in an NFL scheme. But just for now, Williams feels like a little bit safer. And, you know, also obviously important, Jonah Williams has longer arms. Yeah, so that is one thing. I'm not worried about the arm length with with Jonah Williams. I th- that is something people have talked about of why he should maybe move to guard. And I get it. I like Three-eighths of an inch, man. Three-eighths of an inch. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I I get liking Jonah Williams' technique. I think one thing with Dillard and being at Washington State is how often he did pass protect, and he was so good pass protecting. And, and I mean, a lot of those were some short throws, um, but per Sports Info Solutions, a blown block rate on passes of 0.44%, which is the best among this offensive line class. 
he was also a great athlete, the testing uh, incredible at the combine. Number one in this class, 96.9 percentile. So basically the 97th percentile of athleticism among offensive tackles uh, per spark. So when you take that athleticism, how many reps he got in the pass game, I am confident he's going to be able to figure out the other nuances of a little more complex pass blocking and run blocking, which he was still good at, just didn't do it as often because Washington State passed a whole bunch. But if you are good I guess in my philosophy, if you are really good moving backwards and setting yourself up in pass blocking, you're going to figure out run blocking more easily than I think if it were the other way around. So that is one reason I like Dillard a lot as my offensive tackle one. But uh, yeah, like we said, we, we have our top three are the same players. We just have them have one in three switched, but I don't think we're, you know, too big of a difference where we think it's crazy that one has one over the other. Where it is interesting is when we get to our back half, we have three players each who aren't on each other's boards, but what is interesting is as we move to guard in a little bit, the two of the guys who are on your board who I do not have in my top 10, I do have in my top 10 as guards. So we'll get to that. I think one person I do want to talk about a little bit is Max Sharping out of Northern Illinois. He's a pretty good you know, mid-round guy uh, that I think could be of value and could be a, a pretty good starter. In the mock draft I put on BigBlueView.com, I think I took him in the fourth round, and I think that's a potential starter. He was, you know, at least a little above average uh, among this class in pass blocking. He was uh, one of the best run blockers in this class. So when you put that together, he has a decent athleticism. He doesn't have a full profile from the combine, but everything he did test in was above average. So I kind of like how he projects. And I think the one good thing for the Giants it wasn't great last year, but it's potentially good going forward, is they were so bad at right tackle. Like, so bad between the failed Eric Flowers experiment, and it's been so long, we need to remember the Giants thought Eric Flowers was going to be a passable enough right tackle at the beginning of the season. That didn't last very long, and then Chad Wheeler came in, and I mean, he's an undrafted guy, so he shouldn't have been expected to produce at a high level, but the Giants didn't really have any other options, so they were so bad at that position All they have to do is be even below average, it will be an upgrade. But if they shoot for just an average right tackle, that'll be a massive upgrade at that position. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Not to relitigate the whole Eric Flowers thing, because he's not a giant anymore. I, I think you could even argue they never even gave that experiment a chance to get off the ground. They benched him after the second game. So two games is not enough time for someone to switch from left tackle to right tackle. It just isn't. But anyway, moving on, you, know, you mentioned the guys that we view their position differently. I think the biggest one is Michael Deiter out of Wisconsin. I actually view him as a five-tool player. I think he could probably play and have starter upside at pretty much anywhere on the offensive line. I think he could play at tackle. I think he could, I think he could play at guard. I think he could probably play at center so I just list him at tackle because that is where the value is the highest I actually think Cody Ford could probably play both guard and tackle at a high enough level to draft him either in the first round or very early in the second so 
those guys i i have i actually have them at both places on my board the other guy you don't have is david edwards who i have just liked for a while he's he's still figuring out the offensive tackle position he's still kind of owning his body after coming to wisconsin as a quarterback turned tight end so he's had to add a lot of weight and he is just very still new to the position. So I think his arrow is pointed up. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, I happen to like, you know, guys like, like Sharping and uh, last two guys are Greg Little and Bobby Evans. I I do like them as a little bit. I mean, Little is someone who has been possibly talked about as a first round guy. I obviously do not like him there as my tackle nine, but I, I think he does have, a, you know, a little bit and he has, he does have the technique, the athleticism, not crazy about, but if I would have him as uh, down in tackle nine. So let's move on to a guard where I do have two of the guys you talked about. So run down my top 10 here. Chris Lindstrom from Boston College is, is number one. Garrett Bradbury, the center from North Carolina State, is my interior offensive line too. And we'll note this is interior offensive line, so guards and centers are here. Eric McCoy from Texas A&M is a center, is my uh, interior three. Then Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State is four. Then there's Michael Dieter is my interior five. Have Nate Davis from Charlotte is my interior six. Then Michael Jordan from Ohio State is number seven. Bo Benshaw from uh, Wisconsin is number eight. Connor McGovern from Penn State is number nine and then this is where i have ali udo he was your tackle 10 he is my guard 10 uh, from elon okay and so for mine again our top three are basically the same i have garrett bradbury center from nc state then chris lidstrom guard from boston college eric mccoy the center from texas a&m now where we differ i have drew samia who is not on your board the guard from oklahoma then Elton Jenkins, center from Mississippi State. Ben Powers, guard from Oklahoma. Connor McGovern from Penn State. Bo Benshaw from Wisconsin. Ross Piercebacher, who is not on your board. He is the guard from Alabama. Then I have Phil Haynes, the guard from Wake Forest. So, yeah, our, our top three is basically the same. I have Bradbury a little bit higher because... I think center is just a little bit more valuable than guard. Although I also do believe Lindstrom could probably play center and do a good job at it. Uh, Eric McCoy, he's a guy we both like, I think. He's he's a good, well-rounded center. He can do pretty much everything you want. Yeah, I do like Drew Samia. He's very experienced. He's started, I think, just about every game for four seasons at Oklahoma. He moves well. He really explodes off the ball. He can go backwards in pass protection. He can set a pocket. He just does it all. And Jenkins, again, he's a good center. He's more power-based than McCoy or Bradbury. Ben Powers, again, a really experienced guard. I don't think he quite has the athleticism that a lot of the other guys do, but he's strong and he's savvy with how how he uses what he has we both have mcgovern and benshaw uh, pierce bacher 
I like him for the same reason I like Powers, and Phil Haynes is a guy I have been high on for, I think, a while now. I probably wouldn't take him before the third day in the draft, but he, if he's there in the fourth round, I'd have a hard time not taking them, and that's with Kevin Zeitler on the roster. Haynes just moves people, and he he moves really well for a big guard as well. So he just strikes me as an under-the-radar pick, that could wind up being a good starter. Yeah, it makes sense. And the Giants, unless it's you know center, are probably not going to look at these guys early, which kind of pains me because I like Chris Lindstrom a lot. Oh, yes. Um, he, he is very good. <laughs> 0% blown block rate against the pass last year per Sports Info Solutions. Um, he was also one of the most athletic offensive linemen at the Combine at 96th percentile per spark. Um, so the way he moves, the way he can block, very good. So he's clearly my uh, my interior one. Yeah, and then as you move down, there's there's some guys I, I do like. Like you said, Dieter has the ability to play everywhere. And I think I, I'm someone who will say if there's someone who can handle tackle to let him try at tackle first before you move him to guard. But I do just like some tackle prospects better at tackle, so which is why I have Dieter here. That's also why I have Ali Udo here. Udo was it was a good a tackle at Elon, but then has been playing more tackle. He was asked to move at the Shrine game, uh, and he did said he he did like it a little bit, and as he got used to it, so that's why I have him there. I think he probably projects a little better there, which uh, is why I have him. And th- yeah, and then we, we I think we agree on a couple other people. I think uh, Nate Davis is someone I like from Charlotte. The fairly athletic zero point five two percent blown block rate against the pass, uh, which which was pretty good. Six three three seventeen. So. Also pretty good against the run. So he's a smaller school guy who I think can have a pretty good impact on the interior in the NFL and someone who can probably be, you know, a, a decent a decent get in the middle rounds. So since we ran a little long there, we're going to split this into two episodes and then get into what do we do for the defensive side of the ball. So you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Uh, follow all our work on bigbleview.com. You know where to find us right now. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again in like a couple minutes because we'll put up another episode uh, shortly breaking down the defense. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.